Hi there, and welcome to Let's Slow Down, a podcast for all of you who feel tired and stressed from this overwhelming world. Here we'll have fun, inspiring conversations about living life on our own terms and explore ways to ease the pace of our modern world, because life really is good when you're relaxed enough to be present for it. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Stolting, and I welcome you to this space where I hope to inspire you to slow down because life is too short to let it go by in a blur. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy the show. Today, I'm so honored to be bringing you my interview with Luis Fernando Yosa to talk about the topic of youth sports yet again. This is a topic that is going to continue to surface on this podcast because it's one that I struggle with so much in my personal life. Learning to balance the extreme commitments of youth sports has been one of the biggest challenges in my parenting journey, which is why I've turned to experts for guidance time and time again. Luis is a co-founder of WholeChildSports.com, which emphasizes a more balanced approach to developing young athletes. He founded the Whole Child Sports Movement with Kim John Payne and Scott Lancaster and they all contributed to the book Beyond Winning, Smart Parenting in a Toxic Sports Environment. Both Kim and Scott were also featured on this podcast on episodes 15 and 17, respectively. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to those yet, I highly recommend. They were really great conversations. So Luis completes the trifecta here today. I'm so grateful to these three men for their dedication to such important work. Luis is a writer, editor, speaker, investigative reporter, and full-time father coach. We had so much fun chatting beforehand that I finally just had to hit record. So hop on into the conversation. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So we'd love to hear a little summary of your background to help paint a picture of how Whole Child Sports came to be and how you ended up co-authoring two books. So thank you for having me first. And it's, it's exciting to, to come on podcasts like this one, because what all of us at Whole Child Sports, Kim, Scott, and myself want to do is reach more parents, broaden the conversation about what all of us is either subconsciously or consciously, but not audibly talking about, thinking about, which is that something is rotten in the state of youth sports, right? And it has been for a long time. And there are changes, there are improvements that are happening, but not fast enough because at every moment, any kid can be impacted in a way that's very difficult to to come back from, not just emotionally, socially, but also physically with injuries that last a lifetime. So to to back up to how I, how I met the two men, Scott Lancaster and Kim John Payne, and how we put together whole child sports. I was working with Sports Illustrated. I worked there for about 15 years. I did a, a, after moving out of research into feature writing and also investigations, covered a lot of the nefarious stuff that goes on, the dark world of use of, of, of elite sports, steroids, investigations, cheating scandals. And Early on in my career, the biggest cheating scandal I reported was one about a kid named Danny Almonte, who was pitching for a entirely Hispanic Bronx, New York City baseball team in the Little League World Series in Williamsport and was winning everything. And a Florida team 
started to question his age and then everybody started to question it, but he continued to blow everybody away, strikeouts all the time, winning, 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 getting to the semifinals. And I was in the Dominican Republic investigating major league baseball players who I believed had all been lying about their ages and signing multi-million dollar 10-year contracts based on being five years younger than they were, which is mm-hmm. a massive impact financially to a major league. Sure. When you're, when you're signing a contract for $40 million with somebody and they're actually 32, but you think they're 27, wow. I mean, that would change how you formulate the economics of your entire team salary structure. So not to get too far into the weeds with that, <laughs> I also had with my wife, Mary, five kids and the youngest who is now 17 and then a 20-year-old, a 22-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 33-year-old. And all of them were playing sports at different times. The older kids, when they were playing, I coached them. I parented them in, in sports, but I also coached them at various levels, including sort of elite travel, but also fun recreation. So I saw the gamut of what this, this, the entire spectrum of what happens, how parents and referees and kids work or don't work with each other, behave or, or, you know, are awful towards each other socially and competitively. And so I'm seeing the elite sports side and a lot of it is dastardly. Industrial complex, kind of sports industrial complex, money ruling, just trying to squeeze all the money out of parents, poorer kids not getting a chance almost ever to play sports unless they're so talented that you can't not have them on a team. And it's really just because you as a coach with the kids who are well off, including your son, want a very talented, poor kid to help you win. I mean, it's just very twisted, right? So I saw that in youth sports as I had seen it in, in elite sports and wanted to do something about it. Now, I was going on a radio show that was hosted by Scott Lancaster about youth sports on Sirius XM. And at about that time, I'd been on three or four times already, and I went to a lecture at my children's school, the Rudolf Steiner School in New York City, which is a Waldorf school, meaning a holistic approach to education. Kids not, don't just learn rote mathematics and history, but they weave this in through storytelling. They're taught sort of a head, heart, and hands approach to education. They're taught through stories. They're taught math early on through fables. They work with their hands. They're taught through knitting, through music, throughout the 12 grades. So it's a different approach. And Kim John Payne, a you know world-renowned speaker and counselor of parents and kids and, and author as well, the author of Simplicity Parenting, was giving a lecture there. So in the back of my mind, I have Scott Lancaster and what can I do to contribute to this world that I've seen so much of the underbelly of at both the elite and the youth level and at the at front of my mind i'm listening to kim john payne from the waldorf world talk about simplifying about finding ways for boys and girls to come into their truer selves and why in our frenetic society and as you talk about in all your podcasts with too much too soon too busy let's slow it down why this is impacting our youth so much. And this is even before we factor in social media that, you know, magnifies everything. Hearing Kim, I approached him afterwards and I said, I'd love to talk to you further. And we just started to talk. And I told him that I had this friend, Scott, who was doing this. And 
I asked him, what do you think about the world of sports? Because I know you're trying to approach parents and people through helping them with their kids. It's kind of like a Trojan horse, right? We want to help individual adults because they have a more of an impact on each other at work and at home. But how do you get to them? Well, you can never tell them you're wrong or you're doing, don't do it this way, try that way. Advice is a slippery slope. But if you help them with their kids, they'll be forever grateful. And sometimes like the whole simplicity parenting world and community that Kim built was as much about simplifying the parents' lives as it was, right? It's we, the busy parents who are imposing our insanity upon our own kids. They're reflecting us until they're a lot older and start doing their own thing. 100%. Yeah. Even then they're still reflecting us. (laughs) So this was the idea. Let's get these two guys, Scott, who is like one of the most creative individuals I've ever met in the world of curriculum and outside of the box thinking for different types of training in speed, in agility, in games. And a guy like Kim, who I didn't know at the time, but he also has a very deep sports background and, and games background. He's written books, games, games, kids play all these different. So they both in their different worlds, one more mainstream because Scott had worked with the NFL and he had developed youth sports systems for the, for the, that entire, you know, industry, the football industry and Kim. And we just, we just decided to sit together and, and map out what we could what we could bring to raise awareness among parents and coaches about a better way of doing things. And this was 2009, 10, 11. The book came out, I think, in 2013. And we've gotten together ever since continuously as we developed whole child sports. But we've also wondered why things haven't changed that much. And they haven't. Where they have changed is we were talking about concussions. We were talking about hitting too hard in hockey. And there has become a very acute awareness of the damage that can be done, even in in soccer with too much heading at too young an age. And leagues have imposed rules. We were talking way back then about how kids who are seven, eight, nine, 10 shouldn't be using big balls and playing on massive fields with big goals. Because it just doesn't fit who they are in that stage of physical development. Right. Yeah. What Scott Scott was saying, like little kids playing adult games, right? right. It's not appropriate. And then, and and that's not appropriate for them physically. It's not appropriate for them developmentally. And the other thing is it, what it becomes is the adultification of youth sports, which is basically we are entertained by our kids. So and, and that's what it then becomes. I bring my lawn chair. I bring my beer hidden in my coffee mug, right? And I sit there with my big belly and my loud resonant voice and, ye- and yell at the seven-year-old girls, get her, Sarah, take her down, you know, don't let her get through, you know, and, and kind of like these kind of nasty commands that have nothing to do with what's going on in the field, which mm-hmm. is the kids are having fun and playing a game. And so we wrote up, we developed a a website, wholechildsports.com, and we wrote up an entire sort of approach to youth sports with stages of play. There are four. It's rather than go deep into them now, we can, people can just go to the website, but different ages when different things are appropriate for you to do with your kids or for you to have your kids do athletically. 
And then we have something called the 10 tenets of use of, of a whole child and a whole youth sports experience. And they're basic ones like specialization. Don't do it. Playing the same sport or a lot of sports all year round. Take a, take a, take a term off like in the summer. I mean, your kids will naturally play stuff, but don't put them in an organized setting for the summer. Let them just fool around. Creativity. How do kids learn? And is it good for them to be in a command-oriented structure early on in their, in, their, in their sport development? It absolutely is not. They need to fool around and figure things out. They need to be playing with friends and have arguments and parents need to stand aside and let them argue. Let them work it out. We'll work it out because that's where all their negotiating skills yes. and, their, and their resilience. I mean, we, we tend to want our kids, as, as Kim calls it, to live in this perfect harmonious existence. Well, that's not the way the world is. That's not even what we provide for them at home, though we're not telling everybody how to <laughs> Exactly. Our family, <laughs> right? But- in but, fact, you're really hurting them because you are yeah. not setting them up for life. Then they go out and there's some, you know, any sort of adversity and they don't know what to do. And God forbid yeah. you're not there to tell them what to do or hold their hand through it, which is not real life. And right. they are stuck or drowning in it. And we need to give them these tools young so that they can stand on their own two feet, right? That's like our main job as parents. Yeah. So when a kid like runs home crying because they weren't picked, okay, that's, that's all right, you know? You don't rush over and tell the kids you not need to be nicer or call the other parents and have a meeting exactly. and have somebody supervise. You let them figure it out and maybe you give your kid a, a little advice on you know, what to do in that situation or role play with them so they then can master that situation when it comes up in a positive way. But what we instead have is a lot of entitled kids who then become entitled adults who don't know how to navigate difficulty, challenge, and who are not resilient. Therefore, you know, when things really go wrong, they get deeply depressed and can't handle life rather than, you know, working through the issues and coming out another side and being able to creatively navigate these problems. So anyway, that's, Kim was a parenting guru and the writer of a killer book, Simplicity Parenting, translated into 20 something, 30 something languages, over a million copies sold. And Scott had written, has written several youth sports books as, as well. And, and I was experiencing the world of professional sports and also youth sports through my coaching and parenting. And we fused this together and we wrote a book, which oddly enough is selling better now, 10 years later than before. Is it? We've been, Interesting. We've been, we've been on a couple of podcasts, one which resulted in over 50,000 downloads. It's called A Thousand Hours Outside. And it's another mom, yes. five kids in Michigan, yep. who started interviewing different people about ways to get your kids away from devices and outside. And can we quantify this and make it a thousand hours a year or more if you can? And voices like yours and hers are what is through, through the grassroots approach beginning to really shake up the status quo. Now, you told me before we started the podcast about this new system. I don't know how new it is, but this this unified sports uh, mm -hmm. system in New Jersey. I don't want to like flip the script and be the interviewer, but can you <laughs> tell me a bit more about it on on your podcast. I so sure can. Actually, I would love to because I don't think I've talked about it. It 
it's a really refreshing change from what your typical quote unquote high school sports going to look like. And not, not that there's anything wrong with high school sports, but they're intense. They're very time consuming, very competitive. So my daughter does do some of that, but on the flip side, she also this year tried unified basketball. And what it is, is it's, I don't know if it's directly affiliated with the special Olympics, but it might be, there might be some correlation there. And it is teams that are made up of, you know, all kids. It's a, it's, I think it's considered a varsity sport and it's special needs students and mainstream students together on the same team playing together as one. They have some think for the basketball. I know they do a different sport each season for basketball. I think it was like three special needs students on the court at one time and two mainstream students on. So they play together. Everybody gets a chance and they play other schools they have opportunities to be part of a team, which can be, which is so special. That is one of the huge benefits, having that camaraderie and, you know, re- representing your school and being part of something like that. That's priceless, especially for your high school years. So my daughter, Ella, had just a really great time playing on that team. And, you know, she came home after the first the, just the coaches meeting about the season. And she's like, this is going to be so fun. It's going to be so fun. And I feel like that word fun has been forgotten a little bit in some of the regular high school sports, because there is just so much pressure that we forget it's overlooked. Maybe it's just completely disregarded at that point because everything's so competitive. But when I tell you this, it was, it was fun to watch. It was fun to participate in. It was teaching so many great skills, obviously, you know, sportsmanship and camaraderie being at the top, but also athletic skills and they were getting exercise and, and it was great. And you know what? They practiced a couple of times a week. They had, they had, you know, a couple games a week once games got going, it was very manageable. So you could still have a life and I'm not saying you got to do a million other things, but there was a little bit of downtime. It wasn't every day. And if you had something real important and you couldn't go to a practice, you know, you just tell the coach and okay, great. Well, good luck with that test. You got to go study for, we'll see you next week. And it's really nice. It's really nice. I would love to, I know not every high school has it. I'd love to see it become more of a, of a, a normal thing in schools, because I mean, it's an invaluable resource for the special needs community, but for everybody else too, and, and working together and just having fun as a kid. Cause that to me was what sports were actually about. That's why I wanted my kids to get involved in sports. My husband and I both grew up playing a lot of sports and I was so excited when, you know, my first child started to get involved. And then I quickly started to think like, Oh, this is, this is different. (laughs) This is different. This isn't how I remember it. And uh, things have just changed so much. And I, you know, I'm hearing you talk about your five kids and I have three kids and my youngest is only eight. So she, you know, she's just starting. She did, she did rec basketball this year. That was a lot of fun. She's running rec track. We have a track program in our, in our County, which is great for youth. A lot of counties don't have that. So it's still very manageable, but my son's playing lacrosse right now. That's busy. He's only in sixth grade juggling these three kids and just, just the, just the logistics of, I mean, it take you know, it takes a village. I'm sure, you know, having five kids, but just, just the carpools alone, getting everybody where they need to be. I mean, even if my husband is home at that time, which sometimes he's not due to work stuff, 
you know, there's still three of them. We're still outnumbered. And without fail, it's always, everything's like almost at the same time are overlapping on very different faraway fields from each other. So I would love to hear how you and your wife did that with five children. And you said you even were coaching at times. Like, I don't even, how did you do that? How'd you do it? How do we do it? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a whirlwind as I recall it, but I remember the busiest time I had so my, my daughter would do some skating and some, and, and some horseback riding. So that was a specific thing you go to and you can sort of figure out the timing for it. Other than that, she did some high school sports, but they were, you know, the high school take care of that. They drive the kids to the games and you just show up and participate. The, the craziest, zaniest fall I ever had was I was coaching all three of my sons in West, West Side Soccer League's AYSOSIS soccer system. And I was the head coach of the three teams and they, the division heads of this massive 4,000 kid program had to get on a conference call together to figure out how to schedule me. I mean, like that was like a big thing. Cause these guys have are each in charge of 10 to 15 teams and they're managing for 20 even, and they're managing them for each age group. But in order to coordinate, because they, they all wanted me to coach a team because they are desperate for people to coach teams. <laughs> so that what they figured out was that I would have every one of my games that season for one son, my, my 12-year-old, at 8 a.m., the earliest possible game of the day. Great. Saturday, <laughs> Great for you. <laughs> right? and the, at noon, so this was like in the, on the west side of Manhattan, at noon, all the way at Canterfield in Randall's Island, which is, you know, a 30 to 30 minute drive in traffic or 40 minute or a bike ride would be the second game. And then at four, the last possible slot of the day would be my, my 10 year old's game. So the six year old, the 10 year old and the, and the 12 year old, it was interesting because often I have to call the assistant coach and say, can you start the training? Cause you have to train an hour beforehand. And I just wasn't making the time when I was stuck in traffic. Sure. I also started biking a lot and having my wife take the, the next kid to the next place so they could start training with the team. And then I'd come and take over. It's like you I passed lost, the baton, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I lost, you know, 30 pounds. It was really healthy, <laughs> healthy in a way. Cause I was biking from one place to another with one kid and then back to another. And because the traffic got so crazy that it was better to be on a bike. So logistically it was a nightmare, but I had help from assistant coaches from my wife who was, who was getting our kids to the practices on time. And then I would coach. And then that night I would just die on the couch. And that was supposed to be your day off, right? And then that's Saturday. We would watch a movie and just like, you know, (laughs) never see more than the first five scenes. (laughs) But, but it was a love of a labor of love. And at that point I had seen enough questionable parent coaching that I really wanted to be in the driver's seat with my kids. And it wasn't until my older kids were 14 and 15 that I b- both realized that it would be better for them to also be coached by others. And that technically some other coaches just knew more about certain things and they could learn from them in a different way. And that it was time to start letting go. And because I had you know several kids, I was able to let go with one, but stay <laughs> happily involved with the second and the third, you know, but you, you need help from other parents. You need help from assistant coaches, other coaches, the, the, the league to, to manage this kind of thing. And, and from your, and from your, your spouse, of course, mm-hmm. because it's a serious commitment. The point at which it gets crazy 
and everybody's playing elite sport here or there and nobody has time for each other, which we wrote about in certain scenes in the book is when you really have to say, hold on a second, either we're taking the entire summer off and being a family you know, during our vacations, or we're going to lose this, this, this specialness, which is the, the inner family circle. And so one, one steps back. And also, I mean, there are many reasons to step back. You, you will injure your kids. They will become damaged. ACL tears, Tommy John surgery on 13, 15-year-olds. If that is happening to your kid, I'm sorry, but you need to immediately stop what you're doing. And for the next kid, be really wary because who can we – blaming doesn't get us anywhere, but you are the steward, the shepherd, the guide for your kid's sport experience. And it is on you not to get caught up in the craziness that everybody else seems to be exhibiting around you. That's why I love this unified sports program that you spoke of mm -hmm. because it is doing so many different things. It, it, to me, it's checking sports. all the boxes. It really right. is for what high school sports should be doing. Yeah, which is broader participation and more dynamic social interaction at all different levels, which, by the way, something like that is literally going to help prevent bullying and other mm -hmm. social ills because yes, you can't be nasty to the special education kid in your class when you just finished last night playing a different school with him on a team and helping him score or working with with her it's just it's just not a as human beings we can't do this i mean, the other thing i was thinking about with that is like mentorship yeah. and when your kid is hyper aggressive and very like successful perhaps maybe not but in a sport and therefore incredibly annoyed when everybody else doesn't score on an easy shot or mm -hmm. why don't you make a layup and very hypercritical of other kids there is one foolproof way to soften that kid's position on success performance in life and create in them help nurture in them what already is there which is human compassion and and the way to do it is to put them in charge of younger kids from a younger team. And this is what I had my whole team do this for my middle son. There was something I heard about that, that in, in AYSO soccer, there was a special needs group that had a, an opportunity to play for two or three hours every Saturday morning. And I said to the head of the, the lead, the commissioner, I'd like my whole team to come and work with those kids. And they did. And so that's what happens. You take a kid who is impatient and really good and doesn't understand why everybody or does, or just annoyed that everybody else is as good as them. Right. And you put him in charge of a, of a kid three or four years younger who isn't physically capable of doing some of the moves that this kid thinks everybody should be able to do. And when the kid starts being cruel or pushy with that little kid, the little kid starts to cry and runs to their parents, or if it's a special needs situation, they just, you can't do that with somebody who has those kinds of difficulties. So you start to, you start to self-correct. You start, you know, because of the kid who's crying, who is three years younger than you and run to their mom and, and the mom says, what's wrong? Well, I don't like him. Why don't you like him? Because he's mean. And you're, you're the, your mom's looking at the little kid now, the, the, the kid who's like 12, let's say, and saying, what's going on? Were you mean to my kid? No, I was just trying to show him how to do it and he couldn't do it. <laughs> 
well, how about we work this way a little differently? How about we show them this way instead? And, and how about we take a step back and realize that they don't know as much as me? So now I'm starting to develop a little bit of compassion and understanding that there's a process. I'm also teaching the actual activity. So I'm learning it better myself. Mm -hmm. The individual kid, there is so much to learn. They are put in a mentoring situation. And for the kid who's being mentored, they're also being modeled a different way of being with them, which hopefully they will pass on to younger kids. It becomes an effective way socially for an entire league, an entire township to work with each other. And there's so many valuable, you know, lessons learned. It just doesn't happen enough. And so we've talked about different things, different there, there in beyond winning, there are various different things that we talk about. The power of play is one, the fact that kids should play freely in an unstructured environment with very little, just sort of like basic background supervision from parents in order to become more creative and more self-aware and resilient in their in their own personal development. The power of play is critical. So I talked to Harvard science professors and to behavioral psychologists about this. If kids are not playing freely enough at the ages of eight, 10, 12 with their peers, then when they come, even if they're an A student arriving in Harvard, they're gonna be unable to work flexibly in an environment and think outside the box creatively to handle anything but you know, a, a question and answer system of education. So you're robbing them of an opportunity to be more dynamic and resilient and then put them in the real world where you know, your job might change every three years and they won't be able to handle it. So they're like A students, they're fantastic. They're at Harvard for God's sake. And yet as one, one Harvard psychologist told me, they're acting like they're in preschool emotionally. Wow. So that's a disservice. And that was probably before COVID, right? <laughs> yes, that, all of this is before COVID. Yeah. So right? God only knows now. I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are so many ways in which sports can be positive socially, positive emotionally. I'm not even touching the whole world of the, the gender issue. Mm-hmm. What Title IX has mm-hmm. done for the way our society functions I mean, people, and rightly so, many women will say not enough has happened, it's too slow, you know, so much more can happen. But if we do take a pause and a deep breath and look at the landscape, it is a lot more equal than it used to be. And comparatively to many other cultures and many other countries, this this here and in Canada is a, is a place where women have so much more opportunity and rights and can participate. And a lot of that I trace back to Title IX and youth sports. And it's not just me. I've been interviewing for some other work I'm doing, heads of of NGOs and of of different kinds of soccer and other sport organizations. And what I'm told is that let's just talk about women who are in positions of massive authority in big corporations and C-suite situations. This is a stat that, that was remarkable to me, and I hope I'm not misquoting it, but 90 or 95% of, of the women in top com- companies in America played college sports. Interesting. So what, does that, what does that tell you about the confidence that women, the confidence, the teamwork, the understanding of themselves as not simply 
the support structure for men or the, 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 the nurturing for their brothers or their sister or their, or their, you know, whatever. Just, and this is a quote from a top former soccer, both professional and college soccer player. When we work with women in our organization in other countries, they realize that their bodies are theirs and that they, they, they have a value implicit a value that has nothing to do with what they can do for men. And this is so important that my body isn't a vehicle for somebody else and for bearing children and for all that. My body is mine and I can do something physical with it. That's rewarding. That's is healthy. And that helps me make friends and, and grow into leadership and understanding leadership. And so the organization that I'm talking about, Soccer Without Borders is doing amazing stuff in, in Nicaragua and in other parts of the world in communities where they go in and set up a women's soccer program, right? Love it. Just women. And all the guys are like, what about us? They're well, scratching their heads. Yeah, what are mine? And, and these women are becoming leaders. They're becoming teachers. They're becoming mentors. And they're also encouraged to work very hard in the academics in order to continue to participate in the sports that they're doing. So- all of this has happened because at some point someone realized that it was unfair for all the money in college sports to be going to just guys and their sports. So all of what I'm just saying is simply to point out the power of sport, the power of youth sports, the positive nature. It can be part of an entire society's change, improvement, opening of possibilities, or it isn't. And so on the other side of that, what can happen in sports, which led Kim, John Payne, and me to this idea of writing a book on bullying? You know, Kim had been working with social inclusion and bullying issues for his whole 35-year career as a consultant, and I had seen it and been interested in it and read about it, but we were seeing it in sports. So chapter five of Beyond Winning, our youth sports book, is, uh, is titled uh, How to Avoid Creating Entitlement Monsters. Because in youth sports, and this has, like with the gender issue and Title IX, massive societal implications Mm -hmm. at all age groups. Because if, if, if young boys and girls, but let's focus on the boys right now, are wearing their uniform at school, considered cool, allowed to skip classes, helped with their grades in ways that other people aren't, told that they're superstars, and develop a way of playing sports, which is all about winning, all about results and not about, you know, sportsmanship and connecting with kids from other towns. It's all about the result and you kill each other until you get it. What you get is entitlement monsters. And the, at the far end of that, of that spectrum is, and Kim's Kim said this, and we quoted him in the book is genocide. When you have dehumanized another group, and that could be the neighboring township's volleyball team or whatever. But you dehumanize it to the point where you don't mind if you hurt them. And you take that, you know, 15 to 20 steps down that side of the spectrum. Then you have societies, you know, wiping each other out. Yeah. And that's so walking that back, what you want is to develop healthy sportsmanship and, and compassion. And that is not what we were seeing. And so. 
in in our book on bullying, which is four chapters of advice for parents and then 10 stories, two or three of the stories uh, involve sports as a component, as an arena in which bullying is happening or a, a, a way in which kids can connect with each other to work out how to solve bullying problems or social exclusion or marginalization problems. So, I mean, the importance of youth sports goes well beyond me and my potential scholarship, which so few kids get anyway. Right. And me and my high school and my popularity. And as you were saying earlier with this issue of, of the, the problem with high school sports is that on the whole, it's, a, it's an elite, stratified, exclusive little club. So if you have a school of a, of a thousand kids in high school and 250 in each class to make it simple, and you have 14 spots on a basketball team, and that's probably too many, then who's going to get to play basketball? And who's going to get to have a healthy, friendly competition with other teams? Almost nobody. Yeah. And they're going to be idealized, and they're going to strut around, and they're going to perhaps bully and, and, and push around other kids who are less socially inclined because you don't have a unified sports program where they're intermingling a lot. And then you're going to have kids at the far side of that continuum, the dehumanization goes to the point where if the, if the kid who's a target is in any way naturally mentally a little unstable or troubled, or even if they're not, they can be pushed to a situation where they pick up a gun and start shooting people. All of these seem to me like vengeance stories. Yeah. You have right. a 24 year old going back to the preschool they went yeah. to. What is going on there? They're carrying something from their past, right? Right. And so with respect to women and opportunities, youth sports has been incredibly positive in the past 20 years or so, 25 years in this, in this country. With respect to bullying and creating social problems, if sports are, are taught, administered incorrectly, you have these other problems. I mean, I, I've interviewed superintendents of schools and one of them who really impressed me, who had, I won't get into deep into his story, but he had inadvertently bullied a kid who he was coaching on a football team. And later on that kid committed suicide. And it wasn't a direct causal link between the coach bullying the kid and the kid killing himself. But what he internalized the coach was, and he was also the assistant principal of the high school where the kid was, was that. I was so deeply into winning games and coaching and, and, and everything working that when I kicked the kid off the team, I didn't actually know what was going on in his life. And I could have been a positive educator and not just a coach in that situation. Mm -hmm. And even if I still had to, because of the example of it, kick him off the team, I could have helped him in his situation. And I should have, because it's my responsibility to care about the human beings who are in my purview. Well, rather than leave it at that, he started looking for ways to integrate socially the other athletes and the kids who kept coming every year into his school. And so one of the things he did, and he did it subtly and carefully so it wasn't a thing, was in, in the middle school, he would make sure that on one or two days a week in the cafeteria, his athletes, because he has control over the athletes, because he's also the athletic director, as well as assistant principal, would mingle with every type of student. 
So they weren't allowed to all sit in one corner and make fun of the whole cafeteria because they're superstar athletes and they're better looking and they're this or that, or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're studs, both boys and girls. They, they were tasked with ha- having a social responsibility for the new kids, the awkward kids. So once you give a young person responsibility and you monitor them to a certain degree coming in close when it's needed and backing up and letting them do their thing when it's best to be hands off, wonderful things can happen and they can change the whole fabric of a school community. The last story in our book, Darpan's story, the in a, Emotionally Resilient Tweens and Teens is about such a kid who is bullied and is picked on as a kid and is awkward and has a bit of dyslexia. So he has a bunch of stuff working against him in the, can I fit in easily? He's also from India. And so his, the food he eats smells different. And so all this stuff happens, but he's compassionate and interested in the social interaction. And, and he learns all these tricks and he applies them to help kids. And another kid who is a jock sees him do it. And it's actually for his little brother, the jock's little brother. So the kid is interested. And then they form a social inclusion program in their high school. And the, the teachers love it and support it and help structure it. And over the course of a few years, the entire social structure of the school changes. So wow. hundreds and Powerful. hundreds of kids. And even some of the teachers change because it, it, it teaches us all through modeling, right? So... I just wanted to tie that in because we tend to isolate bullying as a problem here and, you know, opportunity among gender, equal opportunity among gender over there and parenting in youth sports here, but it's all inter interconnected at the extreme negative. If we don't work through these social issues early on, we'll get somebody like Putin who is right now the example of the most dangerous bully in the world. Yeah. There've been other examples, obviously, but that ability to dehumanize an entire other country and roll through and try to destroy them while threatening everybody else. If you help them, I'll, I'll blow you up is basically a little child. Yeah. Yep. Total ass. Yep. Not being corrected, you know, absolute unchecked power. And we all are human and we all have the potential to do some pretty nasty stuff or some pretty compassionate, wonderful stuff. Mm -hmm. And as parents in sports and as coaches, we have a responsibility to create conditions which will help our kids grow. One of the top coaches in the Florida Catholic school system at St. Andrews told me, listen, I'm an educator first and a coach second. So I really have to always remind myself when I want to win games, when I want to do this or that with as the athletic director and as a coach of the star basketball team, that it's more important that I educate than that I coach and win. And that's basically what Kim Scott and I have been trying to promote. It sounds, it's great common sense, but First of all, common sense goes out the window the minute you're cheering <laughs> on and you want to win. So true. Right? And you've spent all this money and they better try harder. I mean, we just don't know what's going on in our kids' heads. And so if we drive four hours to a game with them and they don't perform well and we're pissed at them, okay. I mean, to some degree, hey, try it. Make sure you try. But what, we don't, we haven't even stopped to ask. Maybe they have a twinge in their calf. 
and that's why they weren't. So we're yelling at our kid on the way back. I drove four and a half hours and spent $35 in tolls and $65 in gas. And you don't even try and you let that guy get right by you and score. I've been there. Yep. Well, yeah. Okay. And then they get out and they walk, they walk to the, to the garage and you look at them and they're limping and you're like, Oh, maybe that's why they weren't quote unquote trying. So I just superimposed, projected a whole bunch of my own baggage and stuff onto my kid's performance when it wasn't even relevant to that, to the situation that they were experiencing. Yeah. And I think that's the, the slowing down piece that I'm trying to highlight. Like if we slow down enough to be a little bit more present, cause we are all so caught up in everything, in all of it. And, you know, as much as like, this is such a passion of mine and I'm working on it personally so much, and I'm trying to talk about it. But when I step out that door and I'm out in the world, like it is very easy. You're, you're bombarded from every side. It's very easy to get caught right back up in it, even though I know better. And I, and it is common sense and I believe it, all of it, a hundred percent, you know, we can all still get caught up in it. So I think really trying to focus on that big picture. And remember, I think most of us want to raise our kids to be good people. That's got to be first and foremost. And you know what? I think if you do that, everything else will fall into place. Yes. Everything else will fall into place. So sometimes we get the priorities a little skewed and, you know, like you're saying, we do. And I've been there. I've been that parent like, oh, what did we just do? We just wasted our whole weekend. What is happening here? We forget about the big picture. And- then we're not getting the benefits that, that can be there from these sports. And, Absolutely. you know, I was thinking back, this is going back a little bit, but what you were talking about with the free play and how much our kids get out of that, right? Just being creative. One example, my son's, he's in sixth grade, he's playing lacrosse right now. They have practice almost every day. They're off from school tomorrow and he doesn't have practice. And he and one of his buddies, they are all set. They just, the Creek down downtown just got stocked with trout and they can't wait to ride their bikes. And I'm trying to picture them riding their bikes with their fishing poles and their bait. Like my, my older daughter's like, how are they going to do that? So I don't know, but I'm going to let them figure it out. He cannot wait to just go play in the Creek and fish, which I'm so happy for him. And he, you know, they need those moments. They need the moments where we're not there telling them exactly how to do something and they need some independence. And I know some parents don't like to let their kids ride their bikes around town, but they're good kids. They know how to be safe on the road. They know what to do. They're going to go have a great day. And sometimes I worry that by being in sports, there are so many benefits and my kids love sports and we have reaped so many positives from them, but you know, are they missing experiences like that? Cause I mean, they have to take advantage of this one day that they happen to have off, you know? And the and fact I, is they are, they are missing opportunities and we have to create them for them. Yeah. We, yeah. We cannot take every vacation as a place to go to a time to go to a tournament. Right. At Disney or at, you know, this other sports complex. Yep. We need to script our, that's a positive way to script the life. We're over scripting it in some ways, but the one where we go to a beach and you sit and read your book after all the kids help prepare the sandwiches and you're just chilling, mom is chilling and dad is just walking around or, or asleep and the kids are interacting with other kids and digging and there's no, you know, maybe they pull a ball out to just football, which they don't even play to throw around or maybe they don't. 
And then you guys all walk over to the reserve and look at, you know, different kinds of birds. And it's, we have to make sure that that happens. Yep. That those thousand hours outside that are not yes. that are with nature and connection to the world and not about cooking up pressure and winning, winning, winning. Mm-hmm. And one of the things in, in the Power of Play chapter and Beyond Winning, I interviewed, uh, speaking of lacrosse, Jenny Levy, who's now won three national titles as in Division One College lacrosse for the University of North Carolina. She's a fantastic social coach. One of the best in the world, I think, on top of being just a great lacrosse player formerly and a, and a great a great coach as well. Just, what she told me when I was asking her about creativity and how to coach recruits is that she, she said, when they come to me, Luis, they're like overbred dogs. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, wow, what a great quote. And I, is she sure she wants me to use that? But she was happy to. What it is, is that from the age of five or six, these kids have been in command-oriented sports settings, playing only one sport, usually lacrosse, because their parents want them to get that scholarship. Mm-hmm. And they do it for over a decade. And when they arrive to play on her team, one of the top in the country, as one of the, you know, as, as top recruits, literally the best in the world at what they do, they haven't learned how to play creatively because they've been told what to do at every turn. And it's all about technique and it's all about the drills. They're like little robots. Basically, she said to them, hey, hey, guys, they were playing on a field. It was an impromptu. It wasn't the practice. She was just walking by. And these were some of the new recruits. And hey, coach. Hey, girls. Hey, we're just fooling around. Yeah, well, show me some tricks that you guys know. And they were like, what do you mean? Should we do an in and out drill? Should we run, <laughs> run, you know, overlap? No, no, no. Just show me what you, you know, fun stuff that you learned. And they were all, they were not able to do anything. So what she did is she hired one of the most creative stick handlers in who had played on the U S Olympic team as an assistant coach for other reasons too, but mainly so they could like, she could teach them how to do fun and cool and weird tricks with their sticks so that they could get out of this, you know, cookie cutter way. And the other thing that she does is like, so in the middle of practice, she'll add a third goal or turn one of the goals around. You know how lacrosse is you're behind the goal. Imagine if now that goal is facing you when you're behind it. I love it. So and then, oh, so you're used to the hard ball and how it works. Let's put a wiffle ball in there. Let's put a tennis ball in there. Now play. And so suddenly you're trying, you're figuring things out and you're adapting positionally. You're adapting because of the, the weight of the ball. You are going. 100% going to get better from that practice. Yes, absolutely. And that is basically what we have to do with all of you sports across yes. the board. And the kids would love that. They, I mean, younger kids would be like, this is so funny. Like he switched the goal around. They would have, yeah. they would love it. They love it. And so one of the things that I do when I coach soccer is because soccer is a sport which in which little kids are very sort of ego self-involved and they dribble and dribble and they look up once in a while. <laughs> if you want to teach kids how to pass and work as a team, you can do it with certain soccer girls, but you can also say, okay, today we're the, the Frisbee is going to be a soccer ball and you're not allowed to take more than three steps. So kid takes three steps and then he passes it. But the kid who's running is allowed to run as much as he wants. And since you want to advance and, and go across the field, you learn to throw it and a kid runs onto the ball, which is what a lead passes in soccer. And they're having fun because it's soccer practice, but we have a Frisbee or a tennis ball or whatever that we're throwing to each other. But they're also learning positional and key movements in, in the sport. Or, for example, with basketball. So 
if you have one kid who's like the star and then other kids and then one kid who is not that good at all and never gets to shoot, then you can restructure things. If Johnny, who we know is not the best player on the team, if he scores, that's worth two points. If our leading scorer all the time, you know, Jose is scores, it's only worth half a point. The rest of you is a point. So now Jose, who just used to just dribble and shoot and everybody passes Jose because he could score. Now he's only worth half a point when he scores. So they start passing to the other kids Mm, and they start, or if you're playing with guys and girls and the guys are showing off and the girls, you just say for now, just for fun, if a girl scores, it's worth three points. And if a guy scores, it's worth one. Suddenly the guys are going to start passing Mm -hmm. selfish guys who never will only, you know, want to show off and, 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 and win. They now have to be part of a social structure. And so all these kinds of things, there's so many ways to creatively change how kids learn in youth sports. For example, if you're learning volleyball, volleyball is a tricky sport for guys and girls because you have to learn lateral movement. And it's hard to learn that. And some people don't learn it even when they're playing high school volleyball. So what do you do? You throw a sheet on the net so they can't see where the ball is coming from, from the opponent. And then you put them in the middle and you throw the ball anywhere and you say you can only move laterally. Now they really start to figure out how to move and they are doing it with no, you know, preconceived notion. They can't turn and run. They have to run laterally to figure out where the ball's coming. That helps them learn that type of movement for that sport. So in every sport, there are so many creative ways to, to do things socially for specific drills, developmentally for each sport. And the only way we're going to do this is if we talk to each other as coaches and share and stop being so fiefdom-like. Like, I'm not gonna tell you because I'm gonna play against you next week and we wanna beat you. I have so much respect for a coach when they're winning six to zero. And I was playing a coach once in a tournament. They were winning six or seven zero. And suddenly our, our team was playing better and I couldn't figure it out because this team was way better than our team. Then I looked and I realized he had taken two of his players off the field. He'd done it without even telling me, totally subtly. So now it was 11 on nine and we were having a better go at it. And we even scored a goal. It ended up being nine to one, but we scored. And our, our little kids went nuts because they scored. And I didn't tell them. They didn't need to know that he had subtly just withdrawn a player or two. Nor did his kids brag about how, oh, the only reason you, because he had told them, hey, we need to chill. We're a better yeah. team. They're, they're being learning. coached by a person like that. So they're yeah. getting the right message. So, and then on the opposite side of that, I once coached another coach on a team and they were a better team. And one, one of the kids started juggling in the middle of the game because they were dominant. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I asked him, why is one of your players juggling? I mean, that's just, that's just inappropriate. Yeah. And it's hot dogging it. How do you permit that? And he looked at me and he said, it's my son. And I said, oh, well, can you tell him to stop doing that? And he said, you're right. It's not appropriate. And he pulled the son off. But I mean, I shouldn't have had to even ask him. No already pulled his son off because that's what we're there for we're educators not coaches in certain situations winning is important in most it isn't and even in the situations where you're trying to win a state title it's not worth somebody being injured for the rest of it no no it's a game it's a game it's a game and it's supposed to be for fun and that's i was going to say those three letters fun i mean it's the key to everything so much can be packed into that so much learning mentoring, enjoying, changing the whole society, having people get opportunities 
that didn't before, like special needs kids, having hardened, competitive, hyper-competitive, hyper-controlling kids learn to work with a special needs person. And therefore, that that's not a methodology that works all the time to be bossy and, right. and, and, and annoyed at, at other people's. And what a skill to set you up in life, right? Just to take you to the next level, you'll be better prepared for other things to come in your future. Exactly. And you're helping somebody else while you're learning those skills. So even better, right? I mean, that is the point. That is the point. (laughs) Be good humans. But I want to thank you for having me on. And I I wish you well in your efforts to slow us all down. (laughs) Thank you, Luis. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And and I know so many people are going to get a lot out of this conversation because there's a lot of really tired sports parents listening to this. So I'm hoping they can take a few things (laughs) that might help make things a little bit more manageable, myself included a lot, you know, a lot of this conversation is speaking, asking for a friend. I'm speaking from personal experience here. Yeah. And take take a weekend off, right? No sports this weekend. We're going to, you know, wade into a pond. We're going to hike out fishing. Yeah, go fish. Yeah. Those that's things are important, right? They're, that's what really shapes our kids' childhood and it shapes our families. That was the other thing before we go. I was going to say, sometimes I feel like sports can, it can really negatively affect the family unit, you know? And I'm, that's why I'm so glad you were saying, like, take your vacation, still take your summer vacation. It doesn't have to be planned around the sports schedule. Well, if you miss a week of sports, you miss a week of sports. Families need that time together to reconnect. And, you know, I'd argue you need that, that regularly. Like sometimes the week's too crazy. Maybe a skip a practice here and there. Maybe you actually are home for dinner. We all eat dinner together. Cause it's like those little things that I feel are so important and can get so easily pushed to the back burner when we're in the yeah. hustle of all this. Yeah. We need to find the appropriate rhythm in life. Yes. There's a family rhythm. There's an individual rhythm. There's a family rhythm. And that needs to be honored. It's critical that we honor it. Yeah. I think there's so many, so many tips and benefits. I'm going to link everything in the notes. I know we talked about a lot of books and a lot of things today, but I'll put them all in there because they're worth reading. Any listeners who are here today, they're definitely worth reading if you haven't already. So make sure we link that. Luis, I hope, hope we can chat again. This is, this was great. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and have been inspired to slow down and start living life at your own pace. As a brand new podcast, your listener voice matters. If Let's Slow Down is resonating with you, please take a minute to leave a review and rate us. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen and share it with friends. Remember, this is a process, so go easy on yourself. Be gentle and take all the space you need to thrive because the world needs you to be at your best, to love and serve others and yourself. 